You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating socialism versus capitalism, and we're starting right now with Dr. Ben's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, Ben. The floor is all yours. All right, thanks, James. So uh, I thought before we start talking about capitalism and socialism, uh, it might be useful uh, to take a step back and think a little bit about the economic systems that existed before either of those ever did. Uh, under feudalism, peasants are legally bound to the estates of aristocrats, and of course in slave societies, the relations of domination are even more direct and crude than that. And there are different analyses you can give of why these systems went away and were replaced by capitalism. And to be clear, real history is always messy and complicated and multi-causal, so I don't want to claim that what I'm about to say is 100% of the story, but even so, certainly at least one massive element of the story is the one that Marxist historians hone in on, which is that at a certain point, all those rigid feudal rules, those networks of rights and obligations, tying uh, peasants to aristocrats and kings or free towns, uh, and all of that stuff became a hindrance to the development of the forces of production. What does that mean? Very roughly, the idea is that in traditional agrarian societies, those feudal structures were important to keep the peasants in a place while they did the backbreaking work of growing and harvesting crops on a day-to-day -day basis. As technology progressed though, and society became increasingly complex and increasingly industrialized, what factory owners needed was a labor force that was what Karl Marx called doubly free. What does that mean to be doubly free? That they weren't bound by feudal obligations to a particular estate, so they were free to move around and make contracts with any employer, if that's the first kind of freedom, but also that they were free in the sense of being free from any means of supporting themselves except for agreeing to go to work at the kind of early factories that William Blake called dark satanic mills. Even in the heartland of capitalism in England, that was only possible through a bloody and violent process of enclosure, whereby peasants were driven off their lands, they had no choice but to go to work in factories. And of course, in much of the rest of the world, colonialism operated like a bigger and bloodier version of the same idea. Now, as violent and oppressive as this process was, in some very real ways, the advent of capitalism 
was a massive step forward in terms of both human prosperity and human freedom. That's what the first few pages of the Communist Manifesto are all about, is essentially prose poetry about that exact point. Uh, once those feudal shackles were torn off the economy, the forces of production developed so wildly that they created at least the possibility of a world where everyone's material need, needs could be met. And while the justifying ideology of feudalism was a narrow heresy hunting version of Christianity, where everyone was supposed to obey both kings and priests because they were representatives of God, the justifying ideology of at least the best versions of capitalism has been a kind of enlightened secular pluralism. That's obviously an improvement. But what socialists have always pointed out is that the kind of freedom and the kind of democracy that's compatible with capitalism both come in with severe built-in limitations. That's true in the political sphere because the wealthy capitalists are obviously gonna exert more political influence than ordinary workers. And it's true on an even deeper level in the workplace. Under capitalism, freedom and democracy both largely come to an abrupt halt for the majority of the population. They spend at work. During those hours, most people have to take orders from unelected bosses. And depending on what kind of job you have, that can involve a level of control that goes beyond what even most totalitarian dictators demand of their subjects in most contexts. When you go to the bathroom, it's up to the boss. When you uh, have to smile, is up to the boss. And it's only eight hours because of past workers' struggles, because of uh, the natural tendency of capitalist markets to reduce workers to total powerlessness, to what Marx called appendages of flesh to machines of steel, was counteracted to some extent by the efforts of labor unions and the regulatory state. Another problem uh, with capitalism is that while it does allow the productive forces of society to be developed to the point where there's a lot to go around, in practice, it comes around in just a wildly and grotesquely unequal fashion. Even in the United States, the average CEO makes hundreds of times as much as the average worker, never mind the kind of differences that exist in capitalist societies less hindered by labor unions in the regulatory state. Look at Brazil or Haiti or Honduras to get some sense of what that can be like. Even in the United States, some people can fly around the world to be cared for by the best doctors and the best clinics when they get sick. And other people die because they're diabetics and the GoFundMe's they started to buy insulin weren't fully funded. Of course, some people who are born at the bottom end of the economic hierarchy do end up being upwardly mobile and ascend into a different class position, but it's structurally impossible given capitalist ownership relations for everyone to be upwardly mobile. If everyone was upwardly mobile, there'd be no one left to grow the food or stock the shelves of grocery stores and we'd all starve to death. To meaningfully empower the great mass of the population, you need to change the system. So what would that look like? I don't think the kind of top-down state command economy that existed in the Soviet Union is a good model. It was often economically dysfunctional in at least some important ways, and it was held together by denying people important rights. But rejecting the idea of any kind of alternative to capitalism, because the problems with that alternative would be ridiculous. That would be like saying that one proposed course of treatment isn't promising, so you should just give up and let the, the cancer spread through the patient's body. Instead of either giving control of the economic machine to a tiny handful of state bureaucrats or a tiny handful of wealthy capitalists, the goals of human flourishing and human freedom can best be served by finding ways uh, to create a society that's more democratic rather than less democratic than the one we live in right now. 
figuring out exactly what such a society could look like in practice is difficult, but we can find elements that have been beta tested under capitalism uh, for that could be put together to come up with a system that does away with the need for capitalists. We can look at successful worker cooperatives like Spain's Mondragon Corporation. We can look at democratic governments that have nationalized key industries and successfully run them in the public interest, like the healthcare sector in Britain, for evidence that we don't need to divide society into a class of workers, a class of capitalists, to have a functioning economy. Now, you know, we could argue more about the details of what that could look like uh, later on, uh, you know, but... I just want to make one last point here, because that if you want to argue that capitalism is better than what existed before capitalism, or that some proposed alternatives to capitalism are flawed, hey, we agree. But if you want to give me any reason at all to accept the council of despair that says that capitalism is the best that humanity can possibly do, all your work is still ahead of you. You got it. Thank you very much, Ben, for that opening statement. And want to let you know, folks, if it's your first time here, welcome to Modern Day Debate. I'm your host, James Coons, and we are a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics, and we hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you are from. We're glad you're here. And with that, we're going to kick it over to Tom. Thanks so much. Tom, the floor is all yours. Yeah, I just wanted to say, Ben, I'm hearing like a little echo from you. I don't know what that is. Um, I think it's picking up two of your mics or something. Oh, it wasn't just me then. I wasn't sure if it was just my imagination. I did hear that too, Ben. There might be... I think about halfway through your opening, I didn't want to interrupt because it was subtle, but there is a, a bit of an echo and halfway through just at the same time the echo started, there was kind of your volume seemed to change. Yeah. It seemed like it changed mics, changed to a different mic. Hmm. It's, it's at least subtle. So that's why I, I kind of let it go for the opening in case it was uh, in case anybody else could even hear it. But we'll kick it over to Tom for your opening, and then we'll bring it into open conversation. So thanks so much. The floor is all yours, Tom. All right. So uh, if people want to start work, worker co-ops, that's totally fine. And it's already an option in capitalist systems. Like capitalism doesn't stop you from creating a worker co-op, but people don't want to do that. People who start businesses don't want to start a worker co-op. They have the option. They choose not to. So the only way to institute a socialist government is by government force because people aren't going to do it on their own because they don't want to and that's wrong if you want to have the option of worker co-ops which i think is a good thing we already have that under capitalism so the question here is what exactly are you arguing for when you're advocating for socialism are you are you arguing that we should force people to start worker co-ops without their consent because i definitely think that's wrong if you're arguing that we should allow people the freedom to start worker co-ops they already have that so i don't know what the benefit here is uh by adopting socialism you're just essentially using government oversight to force people to adopt a system you prefer without their consent which is bad this leads to tons and tons of problems the centralization of power to cause people to do stuff they don't want to is why most socialist governments fail and become china and venezuela and cuba and all the bad countries because too much power gets easily corrupted and taken advantage of and so this is not a good system if the way that you're going to adopt it is by forcing people to do what they don't want to do on their own um so allowing workers to decide what to produce how to produce where to produce and what to do with the profits is stupid most employees are not qualified to make these decisions. It's like a business that would be a majority vegans in a meat industry would probably shut down the meat plant. Like, obviously, if you started a business to produce uh, meat or whatever, and you have a whole bunch of vegans who get hired, unbeknownst to you, 
And then they all decide they want to like cut out the meat and or just do only grass fed or only humanely uh, grown meat that just destroy your business. Like, well, there's nothing you can do about it because well, democracy rules under socialism. And so this this is a bad idea. What if a bunch of Muslims become the majority in a country and they want only halal meat? Well, then your business is kind of screwed because that's not something the market necessarily wants. So the people who are qualified to make the decisions about what you should be doing with the company, like what to produce, how to produce, where to produce, and what to do with the profits, is not the employees. They are not the ones who are best qualified to do this. You hire specific people who are qualified to do this and let them make the decisions. So this system of allowing the workers to decide isn't a good system. I mean, we've made similar arguments for politics that only educated people should vote so we don't end up with Donald Trump as president. Um, democratic rule isn't always a good thing when it's put into systems. There's, there's bad consequences to it, especially allowing all of your workers to decide how the company should work because they're probably going to make things easier for them, which can have good benefits, but it can also have really bad benefits too. So it's, it's not a good system to adopt in the first place. Um, moreover, if there is any problem that socialism is trying to solve, it can be solved better with other systems that don't involve socialism. Like any problem socialism wants to solve, you can do it better without socialism. There's, there's nothing that socialism is inherently good at solving that you just can't do with just modified capitalism. Like I, I agree with what Ben said, capitalism is not the best humans can possibly do. Like I don't know if anybody who would actually claim that, but it's better than socialism because it doesn't have as much of centralized power. It doesn't have as much corruption. It has a much better track record in human history. Um, there's lots of negative side effects to socialism because of these core issues um, that make it a significantly worse prospect than capitalism. So like, for example, uh, the main disadvantages of socialism is that it's slow economic growth, less entrepreneurial opportunity and competition, the lack of motivation by individuals, lesser rewards, it creates distorted and absent price signals, results in reduced incentives, causes reduced prosperity, has low feasibility and has negative social and political effects. And we can see this by just looking at the majority of socialist countries throughout history. Like if we just go through the Wikipedia list of current countries that are Marxist, Marxist Leninist states, you got China, Cuba, Laos, and Vietnam, um, non-Marxist Leninist communist states that reference socialism in the in the constitution, be like Algeria, Bangladesh, Eteria, uh, Guinea-Bissau, uh, Guana, uh, Korea, India, Nepal, Nicaragua, the Portuguese Republic, the Sahari Arab Democratic Republic, Sri Lanka, Tanzania, um, Mar former Marxist Leninist states. There's a ton of those, all of them same general area. Uh, you can go down the list to non-Marxist Leninist socialist states, Burma, Cape Verde, Chad, Congo, Djibouti, Egypt, Equatorial Guinea, Ghana, uh, Guinea, Iraq, Libya, Madagascar, Mali, uh, Senegal, Syria, Syria, Syria alone, Syria Leone, uh, Sudan, Syria, Tunisia, Zambia. Mm, current states with governing communist or socialist parties, Algeria, Angola, Argentina, Bangladesh, Puerto, Barbados, Bolivia, Congo, Djibouti, et cetera, et cetera. Like, notice that I haven't said any of the good countries in this list. Like, none of the good countries are on this list. All the good countries that are usually falsely attributed to be socialists are actually... Uh, mixed economies. So Norway, Denmark, Ireland, Netherlands, Brazil, Italy, France, UK, Germany, all mixed economies, just like the US. The US is a mixed economy. Also, 
and mixed economies maintain a private ownership of control of the means of production. Um, and none of these mixed economies have a majority socialist parties in government because nobody in those countries wants socialist parties in power. This is not a, not a thing that people want. Um, just for those who don't know the difference, in market socialism, prices are determined by the government, and the goal is to achieve market equilibrium while in a mixed economy, prices are determined by the market shifts, although the government can intervene to protect the citizens in, to prevent economic inequalities. Mixed economies and market socialism mainly differ in the degree of interference of the government in economic sphere. The government plays a bigger role in market socialism, while it mainly acts as a safety net in the case of mixed economies. Uh, moreover, private property is protected in mixed economies where common cooperative public ownership remains one of the main features of market socialism. Both systems allow for competitive competition among enterprises, but in market socialism, firms are not, or in very few cases, privately owned. So, uh, in essentially, we can already do socialism. We can already have co-ops in a capitalist system. People just don't choose to do it. So what is the means by which you're going to adopt this system? It seems like you have to use government power to force people to adopt this because they just don't want it. And doing that causes a centralization of power, which leads to the downfall of essentially every socialist government that has ever existed because it's so easy to corrupt. So it's not a very well-ordered system. It doesn't have a good track record of success. In theory, it's a great theory. Like I think that giving everybody more rights and more freedoms is a great thing but there's a limit to your ability to do this in a pragmatic way that doesn't cause the collapse of the economy. And that is something that we just don't have the ability to overcome yet. So maybe in the future when we have our AI overlords and they can just solve everything, then we can all become communist socialist pandas and the AI takes care of us. Totally fine. I'm, I'm, I'm pro-socialism once we have AI overlords. But since humans have to do the ruling currently, we need some kind of a system that can mitigate humans to some extent and giving all the power to government is not a good way to do that. So my question to Ben would be is what, what things can socialism solve, which can't be solved in a better way without the problems associated with socialism? Cause I think there aren't any, I think that anything you could do with socialism can be done better without socialism. You got it. We will jump into open conversation. Want to let you know, folks, we so, are sorry. absolute. Sorry, James, that uh, I thought we were going to do the same time since with humor, you said, Oh, you're right. I'm more totally wrong with that. So we do have timed rebuttals. And so, Ben, forgive me. I am totally dropped the ball on that in terms of putting a post-it to remind myself. How long were the rebuttals? Ten minutes. You got it. Thanks so much, Ben. Sorry about that. And so we will kick it over to Ben for that rebuttal. And want to let you know, folks, we are absolutely thrilled about many more juicy upcoming debates here, including, folks, it's going to be a juicy one. We are bringing back Flat Earth tomorrow night, so don't miss it with Fight the Flat Earth. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button and that notification bell. That way you don't miss it live. So with that, thanks so much. Ben, the floor is all yours. Yeah, so uh, that, was a, that was a very strange opening statement uh, because most of it seemed to be devoted to uh, arguing against not only nothing that I'd said, but uh, things that I'd explicitly uh disavowed and explicitly said that uh, that I wasn't saying that. I think about half of it was reading from Wikipedia, uh, a list of, uh, of countries that were either Marxist-Leninist or had socialism in the constitution, which was apparently taken as a reason to think that these are countries that have socialism in them, uh, even if it's even if it's an entirely private economy, if the word socialism is mentioned in the uh, constitution, I guess that makes it uh, socialist uh, in, uh, in in Tom's estimation, which uh, strikes me as a very strange methodology. I think you'll find if you use the same one for democracy, you're going to get some very strange results. 
uh, the uh, the Demo- you know uh, People's Democratic uh, Republic of Korea, uh, the German Democratic uh, Republic, uh, and uh, and lots of uh, of other examples. So obviously, just having the word socialism, uh, you know, mentioned at some point in the Constitution is going to tell you less than nothing about the economic system. Um, you know, that's I think that more than enough to uh, to deal with that. Otherwise, we're talking about countries that have the uh, the economic system that was the alternative to capitalism. I explicitly said that I was not arguing for uh, in the uh, in the opening. Made a point of saying that for a couple minutes, uh, and uh, which is the kind of top down state command economy that you know that was pioneered in uh, the uh, in the USSR and then replicated in other places. Uh, the, there was an implication at one point that the way that the uh, that uh, that kind of capital C communism would come about in other countries was because of a Attempts to create socialist democracy, attempts at you know workers' control of production, but somehow workers just didn't want to have a voice and a vote in the workplace, so they uh, so uh, they had to be forced on everybody, and then suddenly you had Stalinism. Needless to say, that bears no relationship whatsoever to what happened. What actually happened was that um, was that communist parties that were ideologically committed to the Soviet model long before they took power replicated the Soviet model, which was the, uh, which was the explicit intention all along. Now that's not my model for what a post-capitalist society uh, should look like. Uh, what is the, what is the model that I advocated for a socialist post-capitalist society should look like? Well, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned two, uh, two examples, uh, of elements that have been successfully beta tested under capitalism, but that could be put together to form a society that didn't have capitalists. Uh, one is that democratic governments have successfully nationalized some industries like healthcare in the UK and run them in uh, in the public interest. Uh, the uh, the other was a successful private sector worker cooperatives uh, like Mondragon. Um, we also got uh, the. You know, in that recitation, the first three countries that were mentioned were China, Venezuela, and Cuba. I thought it was a little funny to include Venezuela in there, especially if we're going to, uh, you know, say, oh, well, there's nothing socialist about the Nordics, uh, because the public sector in Venezuela at the height of Hugo Chavez's welfare state was actually smaller much smaller than the uh, public sector in any of the Nordic countries, the amount of the chunk of the economy that was uh, that was directly controlled by the state. In fact, the number of Venezuelans, the percentage of Venezuelans who work for the public sector, even at the height of Hugo Chavez's welfare state, was smaller than uh, the percentage of Frenchmen who worked for the French public sector. Uh, it's not that much higher than in uh, the United States. Uh, so uh, I'm also a little confused um, you know, putting aside all of this, you know, the Stalinist, uh, the Stalinist straw men, uh, by the uh, the combination of two claims that I both uh, that I've heard both of in there. One is that any problems of capitalism can uh, can be solved with um, you know with regulated uh, capitalism, with modified capitalism, uh, with the, the sort of stuff that uh, that socialist parties, by the way, who absolutely are elected in democracies all the time, uh, have implemented in countries like Sweden and Norway and Denmark and Finland, all of which got their welfare states under labor or socialist party governments. Um, so that uh, so that was one claim uh, that uh, that that kind of Nordic halfway station, you know, was was good enough that we can have you know modified capitalism could solve anything that socialism could solve. The other claim. Uh, was that it's a terrible, terrible injustice to say that uh, that as a result of a majority of working class people voting into power a socialist party, uh, you could have requirements uh, that uh, that firms give a voice and a vote uh, to uh, to workers. 
um, because this was forcing people. And of course, you can use the exact same force argument against any of the things that would go into modified capitalism. Uh, minimum wage, hey, if people wanted to hold out and only work for, uh, for, for firms that would pay them that wage or above, uh, nobody's stopping them. That's allowed uh, in countries that don't have minimum wage laws. So uh, if you want to impose that higher wage floor on them, that's, that's force. Uh, you could, you know, you could say the same thing, of course, as libertarians do about uh, about things like the nationalized healthcare systems that exist in some of those countries, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like you can praise modified capitalism, or you can use the force argument uh, against uh, against uh, socialist uh, socialist government extending democracy to the workplace, uh, but you really can't do both. Uh, when uh, final point, I guess, uh, when I was hearing about uh, how uh, most, um, you know, most people uh, aren't, uh, you know, aren't qualified to, uh, to make democratic decisions that, you know, that if, uh, if you had workers uh, do what they do very successfully at Mondragon, uh, very successfully uh, at the cooperatives in the Emilia Regano uh, region of, uh, of, uh, of Italy, uh, which is to elect managers, uh, to vote on a uh, on an operating agreement, which is the equivalent of a union contract, but with no boss to negotiate it with, that workers just aren't qualified to do those things. Or what if the workers want the wrong things? Like, uh, like what what if you know what if the the firm wants to wants to sell meat, but you know, but most of the workers are vegan, and I guess they just can't find people who aren't vegans to uh, to work for them. Uh, then uh, then all I could think immediately is, man, this sounds like exactly the kind of argument that could be used against political democracy we all agree i would assume that every you know that 99.999% of the people listening to this have the correct position that democracy is good in the political sphere uh so wow would i get what i get my chance to speak that's what i'll point out that this is uh, that the same argument could be applied to that we all agree that that's wrong and then i was very surprised when tom embraced the conclusion uh that democracy is a bad thing in the political sphere um all i have to say about that is if you think that the uh problem with donald trump is that the United States has too much democracy. Um, I, I mean, I don't know where to start with that. That's a, that's a very strange claim. Uh, if, um, if you look at polling data on most Americans' preferences about things, uh, things like uh, what kind of healthcare system we should have, whether we should be continuing all these wars in the Middle East, uh, and a lot of other questions, uh, the results would be very, very, very untrumpish. Uh, the uh, you know the choices that people have are very limited by the two-party system. But even there, uh, if we had just a little bit less democracy, Trump would still be president, as he tried very hard to override the will of the voters. So uh, the connection between Trump and too much democracy is lost on me. You got it. Thank you very much, Ben. And we will kick it over to T. Jump. Want to let you know, folks. Both of our guests are linked in the description. If you want to hear more from our guests, you certainly can by clicking on those links down below. And that includes if you're listening to the Modern Day Debate podcast, you can find our guest links there as well in the description box for that podcast episode. With that, we'll kick it over to Tom for his rebuttal as well. Thanks so much, Tom. The floor is all yours. Uh, yeah, so first thing, Ben confused an opening with a rebuttal. Like, my opening wasn't meant to refute his position. It has nothing to do with his position. It's my position. Um, so it's, my opening wasn't meant to rebut things he said in his opening, obviously. I didn't mention Soviet Russia at all in anything I said. I just mentioned that of the current mixed economy states, the majority political parties in power are not socialists. The people in those countries don't want 
majority socialist parties in power. They vote them out of power. They are very rarely in power, almost never. Um, so the, I wasn't mentioning Russia at all there. That wasn't the point. So I don't think he actually refuted anything I said there. So socialism has a terrible track record of failure. The fact that you can cherry pick a few cases where it's actually worked is fine. Like, yeah, I mentioned work, worker co-ops. Yes, they can work. Do they always work? No. So is that a good example that this is a way that something we should implement on a government scale? No. Cherry picking examples is not that. We can cherry pick all kinds of crazy stuff and claim that that's somehow a good way to judge what our government should be. It's not. Um, the point about people, people are stupid. People can make stupid decisions. The fact that like Donald Trump is an example of that this doesn't mean that it's always bad or that it's necessarily the case in all that democracy itself is bad. It's just obvious that people can make stupid decisions. So we should probably not let a bunch of random people make all the decisions for every one of the companies. That's not a good idea. Again, cherry picking a few examples that work, not a good example or not a good basis to conclude that this is a, a good policy that should be adopted for every country, company. No, definitely bad. Um, so yeah, if people want to adopt socialism, that's great. Like if they vote in socialist parties and those socialist parties choose to adopt socialist uh, government policies, that's, that's fine. I'm okay with that. People don't do that. So how would you adopt it because that's not going to happen like mixed economies are fine and mentioning that other company other countries have adopted mixed economy policies that are not socialist economies yeah that's good I'm, I'm for mixed economies the u.s is a mixed economy but again this is not in, in any way evidence of socialism or that we should adopt socialism so i don't know why he mentioned that at all kind of irrelevant um so again my question is is what can socialism do better that capitalism or any other modified system can't do without all the problems of socialism because i don't see any we will kick it into open discussion mode. Want to say, folks, thanks so much for your questions so far. If you happen to have a question, feel free to fire it into the old live chat. If you tag me with at Monterey Debate, that makes it easier for me to see that question. And then Super Chat is also an option. And with that, thanks so much, gentlemen. The floor is all yours. Yeah, so I mean, I guess as far as what uh, socialism can, uh, can do better than capitalism, uh, we can, you know... Uh, talked about that very extensively in, uh, in the opening statement. Uh, capitalist societies produce obscene levels of economic inequality. Those produce obscene levels of, uh, of political uh, inequality that, you know, that you're just not going to have. Uh, Jeff Bezos is not going to have the same level of, uh, of political influence uh, that, uh, that, that you and I do. Those seem to be unsolvable problems under capitalism. Uh, poverty. Um, so can we stick with those for a second? How exactly would you solve those under socialism? Because under socialism, it seems to be more the case that there's more economic inequality and more political inequality in all of the different socialist countries that currently exist, even though you think they're not socialist, no true Scotsman. Well, but. I, I mean, okay, first of all, that's not what true, no true Scotsman means. That's a really, that's a bizarre way to use the phrase no true Scotsman. No true Scotsman is when you start out with a definition and then there are examples that meet your original definition, uh, and then you say, oh, no, those don't count, and you, know, you move the goalposts. In this case, uh, socialists, going back to Marx and Engels, uh, you know, we're, not, we're talking about a radically democratic alternative uh, to capitalism, had talked about workers' control of the means of production as the essence of what they meant by socialism. There are socialists going back to Rosa Luxemburg the year after the Russian Revolution saying, hey, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, so you have an uninterrupted, uh, uninterrupted tradition. So I mean, given that that's not historically what socialism meant, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say this is less like no true Scotsman than like somebody saying that, uh, oh, you're doing no true Scotsman if you said somebody who was born in Nova Scotia wasn't born in Scotland. It might use the same word, but that's just a different concept. 
Okay, that, that didn't answer my question. So I mean, obviously, I think that's false. Well, I think I that socialism. Explanation of why the premise of your question was just flatly false. Well, that wasn't the premise of the question. That was more like a comment. premise. The question was that those countries are socialist. Uh, if not, the question was just irrelevant to the discussion at hand. So your opinion of socialism, I don't care. I don't care about your opinion of socialists. Every economist agrees these are socialist countries. They're founded on socialism. Whether you disagree, I don't care. So, 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 so give me, give me, give me an examples. How can you solve economic inequality and political inequality with a socialist government? Because all the mixed economies do it with capitalism just fine. I don't see any examples of socialist companies or socialist countries that have produced more economic equality or more political inequality. It's all capitalist mixed economies. Yeah, so, I mean, the answer was already given in the opening statement. Uh, by the way, I know the difference between an opening statement and rebuttal. I'm just surprised that after the, in the opening statement, I was not in fact, yeah, I already answered your question. I'm going to point this out, and then I'm going to answer your most recent question. I clarified in the opening statement that, that uh, what I meant by socialism, what socialism always meant by socialism, has absolutely nothing to do with that model that you're talking about. Uh, but nevertheless, your response was, your, your opening statement was entirely about that model, which struck me as odd to just go ahead with it, even after finding out that that was irrelevant to the debate. But sure, I think that how could uh, how could socialism uh, not generate the economic inequality uh, that uh, that capitalism could generate? Uh, I think that if you look at actually existing uh, worker cooperatives, uh, the uh, the gap between uh, between the highest paid and the lowest paid worker is unsurprisingly a tiny fraction of what it is in uh, in normal firms because you have to convince people to democratically vote on wage scales in Mondragon. It's something like eleven uh, to one is the as uh, the maximum, as opposed to hundreds to one in regular Spanish uh, Spanish firms, and uh, the claim that there's that uh, modified capitalism uh, has solved economic inequality. Quality, it seems very strange to me that no, you still have uh, in uh, in any kind of capitalist system, uh, no matter what reforms are enacted. And by the way, reforms that are enacted while keeping the basic structure of capitalism in place are always very vulnerable politically because uh, wealthy elites will always try to erode, reverse those when they get a chance. But if you look at those countries, yeah, you absolutely still have a class of people with the financial means to own businesses and a class of people uh, whose financial means give them no realistic choice except to work for the first one. Economic inequality is not solved uh, even in the Nordic social democracies, which are you know the best societies that exist in the world today because of the past successes of elected socialist governments. Okay, the, the thing here, I didn't say they were solved. I said they're better than all socialist examples. So you cherry picking a few worker cops isn't good. I can just cherry pick the bad worker cops. Like in Minnesota, there was tons of worker cops that had riots and wars with each other that had worse policies. So picking a few worker cops and saying, ah, here is some cherry picked examples of where my, my model works and ignoring all of the misses is just is not evidence. You've just cherry picked a few successes and ignored all of the misses. Clearly that system as a whole system doesn't work in its entirety, and it will lead to equal or greater inequality than the capitalist systems. Now, I don't say capitalism has solved these problems. Never have I said that. They're just better than the alternatives for the time being. And obviously, we're, we're getting better as time moves on. We're making improvements to capitalism to try and solve these problems. But that's the correct path, not adopting socialism. It's, it's, there's no reason to do that here. So you just saying, here's a few cherry-picked worker co-ops that it worked, doesn't give me any reason to accept that we should uh, adopt socialism to solve political or economic inequality because I can just look at the bad examples of worker co-ops and show, oh, they also fail at a higher rate than capitalist systems. Awesome. Okay. They, they don't fail at a higher rate. The, uh, the existing research on, uh, on worker co-ops shows that they get started at a lower rate, 
But once they're up and running, uh, they tend to uh, last about as long as regular capitalist firms. It's absolutely not true that worker cooperatives fail at a higher rate. Also, the thing that you're referring to in context of this last question is cherry picking uh, was just uh, was was me making the obvious point that the uh, that the rate of, uh, of economic inequality within firms at worker cooperatives is in every case I've ever heard of, maybe you can come up with counterexamples, and I think there are good reasons to think this will always be the case, much lower than the average rate at uh, regular capitalist firms, because if you have an owner who can, uh, who can make a decision about how to distribute profits uh, and uh, has vastly more bargaining power than any of the workers uh, who sign employment contracts with them, uh, then you're going to get vastly more inequality within the firm than if uh, everybody who works there gets to vote on the wage scales. That seems like a strange hill to die on. Well, I wasn't comparing to the average here. I was saying you could cherry pick examples of both and say, if we cherry pick these best examples, you can make the data look good for either one. So yes, we can do that. It's not a matter of cherry picking. The point is that like statistically, uh, worker cooperatives, uh, once they get started, do seem to last about as long on average as regular capitalist firms. That's one thing. The other thing that I think you're referring to as cherry picking is the claim that uh, that wage scales at worker cooperatives are much more egalitarian uh, than at regular capitalist firms. I don't know if you're calling that cherry picking, uh, but I'd, I'd be, um, you know, but I mean, this is this is average. So, so I can I can average pick certain firms that have more balanced uh Average out every single cooperative that exists. Average out every single. Uh, that's that's the cherry picking. I don't care about the averages. We can we can cherry pick different ones that do it fine either way. Exactly the opposite of cherry picking. Uh, the, uh, no, no, no 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 no. So so you cherry picked an example and then you're comparing. Well, no stop stop. Ben 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 hold up. You cherry Ben 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 hold up. I'll let you here because this is hold up. Cherry is the exact opposite. Ben, if you don't understand my point, let me elaborate on it. Then you can comment of, on it. All, of all firms of that, Ben, ben let me. If so you don't understand the point, let me elaborate on it so that you can you can then re respond. So, so explain yourself this time, please try. Uh, well, I, I explained it perfectly well. You didn't understand that was kind of a problem. So, so Ben, Ben, okay, Ben, stop interrupting. Ben, stop interrupting. Stop interrupting. Let me finish. We might have to go into three-minute intervals here in a second, guys. So cherry picking the successes of worker co-ops and comparing that to an average is obviously wrong. The fact that you mentioned that worker co-ops are started significantly less often than um, normal capitalist countries means there's a far larger base to go from in capitalist countries. So like it's the, if we are the, what's it, I forget what it's called. Uh, in immigration in America from Nigeria, we, we immigrate the best examples because they're the ones who are, are coming into America. And so they have a higher average of wealth generation, IQ, whatever. And so it seems like they're better off because we've selected the best ones and are choosing from that group to try and make a disparity between uh, racial classes or whatever. It's the same thing here. The fact that the people who start worker co-ops aren't just random people who can start businesses. They are the ones who have the money to do this and who have the connections to do this. So you're cherry picking the best examples and then saying, ah, the, the best examples of the very few people who actually start these, they do well. Congratulations. If I cherry pick from the best examples of corporate environments, I can get a better number than yours easily. The fact that since we're taking an average of a bunch of people starting a bunch of businesses of at all income levels and comparing it to the, the very best of people who are allowed to start work co-ops is not a fair comparison. So it's cherry picking. You're just cherry picking data from the best, comparing it to the average of people of every spectrum and then saying, ah, clearly the work co-ops are better. No, that's false. Um, but you still haven't answered my question. Like, 
You've you given nothing that can that can explain how economic inequality or political inequality is solved by worker co-ops. You've just, again, cherry-picked some of the best ones, which I can do too. So you've given nothing. And again, all of these can be better solved by capitalism we'll kick it in over. every way. We'll kick it over to Ben for just a bit over two minutes, so it's matched. So, uh, so first of all, uh, I, I see what the problem is now. You don't know what cherry-picking means. Uh, so you're saying uh, you're making a claim that you're described as cherry picking that has nothing to do with what cherry picking means, uh, because obviously talking about uh, every worker cooperative that exists uh, as an, uh, as one as one point of comparison and talking about every regular capitalist firm that exists as a regular another point of comparison is not uh, is not cherry picking. It has nothing to do with what that means. Now you can argue this is not cherry picking, but you can argue that the uh, that the sample size of every worker cooperative in existence uh, is uh, is too small. I think I might be bigger than you think, but fine, fair enough. You can argue that it's too small uh, for uh, for a comparison. Uh, but uh, what I find fascinating is that in your explanation of why you think it's too small. Uh, you are completely contradicting uh, the uh, the premise of one of your anti-socialist arguments from earlier. You said, "Oh, well, we clearly don't need to uh, to use the political process to use the power of the state uh, to give workers these rights in the workplace, uh, because you know any workers who who wanted uh, to uh, to own their own firms just could already. You know, it's it's already allowed. So what, what, why does he? Why do you need to uh, to force it?" Uh, but then just now you said, well, anybody, any worker cooperatives that's getting started, that must be uh, that must be because these are workers who are in the unusual situation of having the money and connections uh, to be able to do this. So it seems to me that you have to take one. Finally, uh, you keep making this very strange claim that I have uh, that I have not explained why it is that workers' control of the means of production would lead to smaller wage gaps, even even given market you know socialism, uh, based on uh, based on private sector worker cooperatives. And that's just not the case. I've explained it several times, but I'll explain it one more time, which is that if everybody at a firm gets to vote on the wage levels, Though you know on uh, on the wage scale, that wage scale is going to be much flatter and more egalitarian than the wage scale that you're going to get from regular capitalist ownership relations. I think that would be an extremely straightforward point. You got to get over Tom. Uh, so yeah, that's, I mean, obviously false. Obviously, you don't know what cherry picking is. If you select of a very minority group, like immigrants from Nigeria, if you take all immigrants of Nigeria, that's still cherry picking because there's a select feature about them that makes them different from the comparative group. Um, the fact that it takes a certain group of people to create a worker co-op and like a single individual, given the option between worker co-op or business they own, they're going to choose business they own. So in order to create a worker co-op, you need to have a group of people who you want to do this with. It's not just like random person X wants to start a business, like I'm going to go with a business co-op not a thing. So there's a very specific kind of person who goes with that. Usually people who've researched it, who wants to implement it in a certain way, who has some kind of background in economics to know what the impacts are going to be and how to run it. They're the ones who are choosing to make worker co-ops, not just random person X who wants to start a business. So there's a clear difference between the people starting worker co-ops and the people starting random average capitalist businesses. Most people who start businesses want capitalism, regardless of any kind of background knowledge. Most people just don't know about worker co-ops in general. And so most people who start businesses won't start worker co-ops. So it's clearly cherry picking of a certain group who starts a certain kind of companies, not because they're not able, anybody could start a co-worker co-op, but because they choose not to for various reasons. Just like many people who immigrate in the U.S., uh, well, they potentially could, they're not allowed to because we're choosing the very specific best ones who are already qualified in the field and they're going to succeed at a higher rate automatically. 
So it's obviously cherry picking. Like this, this is super simple. I don't know why you don't understand this. Um, again, and my comparison to uh, my question was, is what can socialism do that capitalism can't? I can pick examples of socialist or camp, ca capitalist companies that do better than many co-ops. Capitalism can do this too. This wasn't a question of a, can socialism do some better than some capitalist systems? No. My question was, is can you do this without adopting socialism? The answer is yes. There are many capitalist countries that can do this and make have much better equality levels than America without adopting socialism. You don't need socialism to do this. Nothing you said says that socialism is required yeah. to accomplish this. That was not a thing. That's two minutes. We'll kick it over to Ben. Yeah, so um, it, it is interesting that sometimes you seem to understand what cherry picking means. You'll actually explain it correctly. You'll say picking examples, and then you start pretending again that uh, examining an entire category and comparing it to an entire category is cherry picking. That's just, I, I feel a little embarrassed. That's just not what it means. Uh, but uh, more crucially, uh, of course, there has been, uh, there is a structural reason why you have much more egalitarian wage scales at worker cooperatives than regular capitalist firms. It's not a matter of looking at one capitalist firm or looking at one cooperative. There is a general structural reason, which is that if wage scales are set by an owner who can do what they want as long as they can get someone with vastly less, less uh, bargaining power to accept it, uh, you're going to end up with much, much less egalitarian uh, wage scales than if everybody uh, gets to to vote on it. I mean, this 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 just seems like an incredibly simple point. I'm very surprised that you're not getting it or understanding it. I'm I'm, I'm not sure I'm not sure what's uh, what's going on there. Uh, but if we're looking at other things uh, that capitalism can't do, I mean, the example that we uh, that we had uh, was general economic inequality, and I said that under capitalism you you know generate so much economic inequality. Uh, that you get these wildly inegalitarian relationships in the workplace, and you also get wildly unequal levels of political power. Just saying that there are capitalist countries that due to doses of socialism that have been, been administered by elected socialist governments have less inequality than the United States is very different from saying that you can have uh, that um, that that you are going to get enough inequality under capitalism that those two things that uh, that I mentioned are not going to be the case. So, I mean, what you said is, again, demonstrably false. Like survivor bias, you're you're comparing an entire group of survivors to an entire another group. And guess what? That's still cherry backing. It's literally survivor bias for that reason. You, you're not understanding how fallacies work is your problem. Secondly, uh, again, as I said, give me an example where these socialist countries are that you're naming, because none of the countries have socialist governments. Doesn't happen. Like all of the socialist parties in those governments, none of them are the majority party. It's not a thing. You can just go to socialist uh, parties in governments, go down to ones not in power. You'll find uh, Norway, Denmark, Ireland, Sweden, all of those places have socialist governments that are not in power. There are some seats that they have. None of them are the majority. The majority are mostly capitalist Democrats in lots of ways. So again, what you're saying here makes no sense. You're saying, ah, we elect Democrats who put in uh, market market mixed economies like oh just like america does what and then ah, socialism no it's not socialism that's that's mixed economies just like america has so you haven't given any examples of successful socialism at all you've just picked mixed economies and said ah socialism 
Okay, none of that bears any relationship with anything I said. I trust that anybody who's been watching this knows that what Tom said has literally nothing to do with anything that I just said. Uh, I don't know if he was just zoned out while I was speaking or he just decided to make something up, but none of that stuff I said. Uh, what, what did I say? Uh, I said that doses of socialism administered within capitalism, such as nationalizing the healthcare sector, for example, uh, have led to enormous human progress uh, when those have been implemented. And it is just a historical fact that they were largely implemented by elected uh, Socialist Party and Labor Party governments uh, in those countries, which have been in and out of power in many of those countries for a long time, uh, and quite recently, uh, that, uh, that those have made those societies more livable. I did not claim, and in fact, I said the opposite of the claim that those were socialist, uh, those were socialist countries. Uh, the claim that I've made is that we can look at elements that are beta tested, that have been successfully beta tested under capitalism, namely democratic uh, governments uh, successfully nationalizing certain sectors of the economy, operating them in the public interest, namely uh, successful uh, worker cooperatives, and see that it is in fact quite possible to have a society that doesn't have capitalists uh, with, a, uh, with a functioning economy. The fact that uh, we, uh, we don't have one that's fully achieved that yet. Uh, they are uh, not because uh, they tried and it was unsuccessful, but just because they haven't gotten there uh, politically uh, is, uh, is neither here nor there. I mean, if we were arguing at a point in history when no democratic republics existed yet, uh, all you had was maybe, you know, a certain amount of constitutional monarchy, uh, to, but with the king still holding lots of power, you could say, aha, you know, no successful uh, constitutional republics uh, yet. Uh, it would be exactly uh, as irrelevant. Uh, so you're also shifting the goalposts in a very strange way on this cherry picking uh, issue uh, that uh, you're talking about survivorship bias here, which is a which is a different claim uh, than uh, than cherry picking. Uh, but uh, but yes, sure. If you're going to look at successful worker cooperatives, then you're looking at the worker cooperatives uh, that uh, have survived. Just like if you're looking at successful capitalist firms, you're looking at the capitalist firms that have survived. That's what about is, is that once they get started, uh, they tend to survive at about the same rate. We'll kick it over to Tom. Wow, you're just totally incapable of understanding the points here. It's pretty simple. Like survivor bias is an example of using an entire group and comparing it to another entire group, and that can still be cherry picking. This wasn't literally saying survivor bias is a fallacy or using in comparing uh, cooperatives versus non-cooperatives. The point was just what you said earlier when you said comparing an entire group to an entirely in another entire different entire group is not cherry picking it's just demonstrably false i can give you an example where you're doing exactly that it's called survivor bias where you're comparing an entire group to another entire group and it's still cherry picking you not understanding fallacies is kind of the problem here so but again so you admit that you, there are some socialist policies that are similar to socialism which are adopted in mixed economies so mixed economies like combinations Yes, I agree. Mixed economies work. These are not examples of that we should adopt an entirely socialist government. This is an example that we should adopt a mixed economy, which which I'm, I'm for mixed economies, not for socialism. So you're saying, ah, mixed economy, here are a few examples of it working in a few cases. Therefore, let's adopt an entirely socialist government does not follow. Again, cherry picking, cherry picking a few examples of successes, saying that, ah, we should adopt the whole thing doesn't follow. So again, what we should do is what we're currently doing, taking a capitalist approach and adopting a mixed economy of taking certain protections policies and adding those in and that's good your system is not good all of the examples where socialism has ever been tried has always failed you claiming it's not real socialism no true scotsman isn't real isn't relevant people want to say that oh 
here's our idea of socialism. We're going to try to adopt this. And to adopt this, we have to give lots of power to government. And they're probably like, oh, we're, we have lots of power. We can abuse it now. That's, that's socialism. That's what happens. Um, so this is not a good policy. If you want to implement socialism, it has to be voluntarily. You can voluntarily create a co-op. You can voluntarily vote socialist into, into office. That's fine. Using government power to force everybody else to do it without consent is bad. Yeah. Uh, if I were you, just as a piece of friendly advice, uh, the, uh, the, uh, I would not try to run this, uh, this thing about logical fallacies. Uh, I, I think we can compare notes there. And that's probably not going to be promising for you. But uh, as far as uh, the point about uh, about mixed economy systems, uh, the um, you know the argument uh, is about whether the kind of socialism uh, that I'm describing uh, is uh, is economically possible. Whether there's a reason to think uh, that if you had certain key seg- sectors of the economy be nationalized, if you still needed. A, a market sector uh, because of calculation problems, coordinating consumer preferences uh, with uh, with production. Uh, you could at least have a market sector of uh, worker uh, worker cooperative firms. Uh, that uh, well, if you're going to say is this workable? Well, if there were examples of an attempt to create exactly that, we could look at those and use uh, and use those to consider it. Uh, but failing that, you know, in the absence of uh, of any examples of that. Uh, what we can do is we can look at the individual elements of that. Worker cooperatives uh, as a whole, how do worker cooperatives generally do as compared to conventional organized capitalist firms? And we can also look uh, at examples of democratic uh, governments uh, taking certain key sectors like healthcare out of the market and see how that does. Uh, and if you think, okay, these things can work individually, uh, but when they're put together, uh, they uh, they would not be able to work. There's some particular reason uh, reason for that. I think we would need to hear the reason, and we uh, and we certainly uh, we certainly haven't heard the reason or anything like it yet. Uh, this no true Scotsman claim. I've already explained why that's just wrong. I mean, you're just misunderstanding what no true Scotsman means. Uh, but forget it. Like you know, like forget the question of whether you call it socialism or not. Uh, the uh, you know, let's just call this. Let's just call what we have right now Xism, uh, what existed in the Soviet Union Yism, uh, and the combination of a democratic government nationalizing some uh, some industries and running them outside of the market, uh, and uh, and and a private sector entirely consistent of uh, worker cooperative Zism. Uh, we could completely sidestep the terminological issue. Man, time. Uh, true that uh the bad parts of the track record of yism are just going to be irrelevant we'll to the it. question of whether xism or zism would be better kick it over to tom uh so the question is if we try to adopt zism it leads to to yism i think was the the communist parties so the problem here is that if we try to adopt zism the policies to do that lead to government overreach which then become abused and corrupted which leads to zism that's the problem it's not that they are literally the same thing obviously china isn't literally just giving public ownership to the means of production it's china the problem is it's a result of trying to adopt socialism because the only way to adopt it is through extreme amounts of government oversight which is bad um so, so again, you again, you're not understanding fallacies is your problem. I'm definitely going to defeat you on every single one of those, hands down, without even trying. But separate topic. So again, the issue here is like, what's better? Should we adopt, as you mentioned, should we adopt a complete system with all of the con- all of the companies like this, or is it better to take just the mixed system? I'm saying mixed system is better. 
always. It's always going to be better than adopting your system. Your system is going to fail for the reasons I listed in the intro, that it leads to less competition, gives people less opportunity to grow, gives successful people less opportunity to grow their business, gives less control over the people who actually have the, the right state of mind to make the right decisions. It, I would, I think it's going to fail more often than it succeeds in making successful decisions because it hasn't been implemented. If you could demonstrate it has been implemented other than just your hypotheses that a complete system adopting this will be better, that would be great. Until then, it's reasonable to reject that and to adopt the system that we know works and has been proven to work and has done an extremely well job of benefiting human life over the past several hundred years, which is a mixed economy. We know this works. We have lots and lots of evidence this works. Does it work perfectly? No. Do you have any evidence that your system works? No. Zero. Zero cases. Okay. Uh, the, the thing about logical fallacies is, uh, is bizarre. The couple that you've mentioned, you've proven that you have no idea what they mean. Uh, I would, there are lots of informal logic and critical reasoning textbooks that are easily available. Uh, you can, you know, you can buy them, go on Amazon tonight. Uh, you can stock up on some. I would recommend reading up on this if this is something mostly you know about from the internet. Uh, but, uh, but in both of the cases that you mentioned, uh, you're just wrong. Uh, as far as the relationship uh, between Yism and Zism, uh, if you want to claim that attempts to create uh, create Zism would collapse into Yism, uh, then you certainly haven't made that case. Uh, the uh, uh, you know the point was already addressed earlier that it's just not the case uh, that China and all of these other uh, irrelevant examples uh, that you're reading off from uh, from Wikipedia in that opening statement uh, have uh, were attempts. Uh, to uh, create socialist democracy that just somehow turned in to Stalinism and Maoism, uh, as a matter of, uh, of historical fact, uh, the, uh, that's, that's, not, uh, that's not how that happened. Uh, these are countries where there were revolutions that were led by Moscow-aligned communist parties who had a pre-existing ideological commitment uh, to the Soviet model uh, and who, of course, carried out that commitment once in power. It has absolutely nothing to do with the whyism uh, will, uh, will become uh, Zism claim. Uh, and certainly what we've seen over hundreds of years of, uh, of capitalism is that these features that I'm talking about, uh, like the creation of severe economic inequality, like the absence of democracy in the workplace, uh, like the, uh, the existence of poverty, uh, are, are, are built in, they're baked in. There's, there's, there's never been a capitalist uh, version of capitalism uh, that, has, uh, that has done away with this. We can look at a small local example in, uh, in the United States and look at the fact that, you know, Juneteenth was last month. Uh, we just passed 156 years since the emancipation of slaves. Uh, and through that entire time, capitalism has failed to correct the persistent economic inequality between the descendants of slaves and the descendants of people who were free in, uh, in 1865. It's certainly the case that, uh, that regulatory states and labor unions uh, can sometimes uh, make progress, push that boulder up the hill of sanding off some of the worst edges of capitalism. And then, of course, the wealthy elite, every time they have a chance, uh, will start pushing that boulder down again with austerity and reversing uh, those, uh, those, previous, uh, those previous gains. But what I really just want to emphasize is that you seem to really want to have it both ways, that on the one hand, sure, yeah, mixed economies, great, great. On the other hand, uh, the government uh, imposing a democracy uh, in the workplace because the majority of workers voted in, in power voluntarily to do that thing time. is something which could be applied to anything that makes those mixed economies mixed. We'll you know, kick you it over. 
we've got to kick it over. We've gone, we'll kick it over to Tom for two minutes. As I said before, if a bunch of people, if the majority of people vote in socialists, that's fine. That, by that part, I'm okay with. So if you convince the majority of people in a country to adopt this, that's fine. As I said multiple times in the beginning, there's no contradiction there. But they're not going to do that, as we've seen in every single country, even the modern mixed economies. Nobody adopts socialist-run countries. Nobody adopts the socialist majority parties. It doesn't happen. Good luck convincing them. It's not going to happen. Go for it. Um, but again, so that, that's not a contradiction. I'm literally saying you're not going to convince them. Nobody wants this. It's a crap system. People prefer giving themselves power, so they're not going to adopt the social system. Um, I don't know why you keep mentioning capitalism hasn't done away with poverty and inequality. Like, no one's ever done that, and we're not going to do that for a very long time. Your system does not do away with poverty or inequality either. Your your argument is that it makes it slightly better, not that it does away with it. Um, so that's not your argument? Okay, I'll ask you about that later. So uh, your the capitalist systems have been doing away with poverty and making things significantly better for everyone for hundreds of years. Like, it, it makes things better, always. Like, the amount of people in poverty around the world has gone down by like 50% or something. The people live on a dollar a day or whatever. Things are getting better under the capitalist system. And they can obviously be continued to be made better by using more capitalism and modifying capitalism to make it more fair like the mixed economies have done. The question is, is would your system make that uh, be an even better improvement or would it be worse? And I'm saying it's probably going to be worse. It's probably nobody wants that. Nobody wants that um, because it's bad in many reasons for all the ways I listed in the introduction. Uh, lowers lots of kinds of things. There's all kinds of papers that show that it lowers competition, lowers, uh, I forget what I mentioned, but they're all listed there. And they've got papers to show it. So this is not supporting your position. Like Obviously, no one's going to solve poverty and inequality. You're not going to solve poverty and inequality. The question is, who's better? Okay. Uh, I don't know how you heard me say that uh, that in uh, in actually existing uh, worker cooperatives, uh, the um, as a as a category, uh, the average uh, the the average difference between the highest paid and the lowest paid uh, worker owners is a tiny tiny fraction of what it is in normal capitalist firms. I'm not sure how you heard that and said that my argument was that it would make it slightly better. Uh, my argument is that uh, is that given workers' control, uh, it's not structurally possible to uh, create the runaway levels of inequality uh, that you uh, that you have under uh, under capitalism uh, that lead to that make a mockery of political democracy because uh, you're going to have wealthy people that vastly more political influence than everybody else uh, that uh, that leads that perpetuates capitalism by making it the case that the majority of the population who, as you said in the moment of lucidity earlier, uh, do not have the money and connections to uh, to be able to uh, to start a uh, worker cooperative, have no realistic choice except for to give up most of their rights and freedoms for eight out of every 16 uh, hours a day, that that level of inequality, the kind of inequality where the bottom end is going to be grinding poverty, of course, would not exist given workers' control for reasons that have been uh, explained several times. Uh, the uh, saying that you'd be fine with socialism if uh, if a majority democratically opts for it makes me a little confused about what you think we're we're arguing uh, we're arguing about uh, about here. 
but, uh, but if you say that a majority of the population is never going to support that, well, there certainly are historical examples where a majority of the population uh, has supported it. Uh, you know, so, uh, so just to, I'm not making a statistical claim uh, here, uh, but, uh, but just to, uh, just to go with one, uh, one example that springs to mind, uh, Chile in the 1970s, uh, the, uh, the Democratic Socialist government of Salvador Allende was, was picked by a majority of, uh, of the Chilean electors on a very radical socialist platform. Uh, and, uh, and of course, uh, as is often the case uh, when that happens, uh, the uh, the United States uh, took the uh, took the view that you know Henry Kissinger famously said, uh, just because the uh, the citizens of the country are irresponsible uh, doesn't mean and that they should be allowed time. to go. Come. That's certainly not the only we, example of that. Uh, but look, of course, we got to kick it over. Would happen. We've got to kick it over. Thanks so much, Tom. The floor is all yours. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that yeah, those those didn't turn out so well, did they? So I'm ready to go to Q and A. I've, I've stated my piece. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, you're right. It did. I mean, the example I gave certainly didn't turn out very well, uh, but not because of any problem with socialism. You got it. Well, want to let you know, folks. I just because I know many of you have many things on your mind, and so oftentimes at the very start of the debate, I say, "Hey, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss future upcoming debates." And so. As I mentioned, a lot of people, you guys have things on your mind, all that good stuff. So I just, in chat, hit the button for subscribers-only chat. It's temporary. We don't mean to twist your arm into subscribing. Only because, as I mentioned, a lot of times people miss it up front. And so when I encourage you to subscribe, be in the chat if you haven't already hit that subscribe button. And with that, we will jump into the questions. Thank you very much for your first question. This one coming in from, you guessed it. Logical, plausible, probable, thanks so much, says, congrats on hitting half-century mark. Everyone, push that like button, and let's help James to get to 100,000 subs. Thanks for building an awesome channel. Thanks so much, John, and we are excited. We're celebrating. It's a thank you celebration for 50,000 subs tomorrow, so you don't want to miss that one, folks. We're going to have votes and all sorts of fun stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun, but thank you. And Brenton Langle, thanks so much, says, T-Jump. Donald Trump never won the popular vote. And said he loved, quote, low information voters, unquote. Anti-Dem arguments using 45 as an example make no sense. I mean, that's a fair argument. Yeah, he wasn't elected by the majority. It's the the stupid electoral college thingy. But yeah, um, the point was here is that a lot of people being put into situations can make stupid decisions. There were still 49 million people who made a stupid decision there. So not sure that's a great example that we should just give lots and lots of people the right to make the decisions about how a government or how a a company should uh, use what it should produce, how it should produce it, where it should produce it, and what it should do with profits. I'm not not sure, given how bad that many people are making decisions, that that it would be a good idea to do that. Gotcha. And Louis Barnett, thanks so much, says, is social democracy the best of both systems? Guess we'd hear from either of you. Um. No, I think that it's uh, I think that it's the best that's been achieved so far, uh, for uh, for sure. Uh, that uh, that social democracy, uh, you know, has by um, you know redistributing some resources 
uh, away uh, from uh, from capitalist profits uh, to meet various human needs, taking certain sectors of the economy uh, out of uh, out of the markets, uh, etc., uh, has been, uh, you know, those are definitely the best societies that humans have created so far. But I think that there are two problems with stopping at social democracy uh, and not uh, and not going for full workplace democracy. Uh, one problem uh, is is pragmatic. The other is ideological. The uh, the pragmatic problem is the one that's already been mentioned. Uh, Rosa Luxemburg's metaphor about reformism is the labor of Sisyphus. You know, you're pushing the boulder up to the up the hill, uh, and it's being pushed back down again. Uh, that if you leave uh, the capitalist class uh, with, of uh, business owners with their economic power. A concentrated economic power will always find ways to translate into political power, and they will always use that to chip away at whatever reforms have been uh, enacted so far. At the end of the day, if you want to avoid that, uh, you alt- you have to, as, as Michael Brooks used to put it, you know, you have to start taking some pieces off the board by democratizing the economy. That's the pragmatic problem with stopping at social democracy. The ideological problem with stopping at social democracy is even though those are certainly better societies than you know than the United States, much less what the United States has imposed on much of the rest of the world. Uh, there, uh, there's still societies where most people have no realistic choice except to spend half the hours that they spend awake uh, most days uh, taking orders in a really draconian and authoritarian way from unelected bosses. And I think we can do better. You got it. We'll jump into this next one from. Hey, hey, I, what, what, I don't get a chance to answer. Oh, that's right. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's fair. Like, obviously, social democracy is probably one of the best systems we've achieved so far. It's probably not the best ever. There's probably going to be more. But if you're going to make a claim that you know of a better system and it's never been tested, you have a much higher burden of proof than the one that we know is the best system so far and has worked in lots and lots of cases. So if you're making the presentation that you have a better system than the best system, that's like saying you're smarter than Einstein. You've got a lot to to do to show that. And I don't think there's any evidence to support socialism even comes near what that would require. Yeah, I mean, literally all evidence from actually existing worker cooperatives uh, show that that's an efficient way uh, to organize businesses. I understand that uh, that that doesn't impress you and you think that for some reason uh, that's unrepresentative of what that would be like uh, in a uh, in a system that was dominated by those. You certainly haven't given us any reason to think so. We must go to the next one. Do appreciate your question. Ethel Logo says, congrats on 50,000 subs. Thanks for all of your hard work. I value these convos immensely. Thanks for your kind words. Amazing. I want to say, the debaters are the lifeblood of the channel. People like Ben and Tom have seriously made this channel rock and awesome and fun. And so we want to say thank you to them. And thank you to all of you for all of your great debate ideas, folks. So thank you so much uh, on this super positive and encouraging night. And Don Fullman says... Intellectual honesty is in a state of recline. Is that so my, my, my channel motto? Intellectual honesty is in a state of recline. Buy my T Jump merch. Very juicy. And Brenton Langle says the co-op was in Minnesota. The co oh sorry about that. The co-op wars in Minnesota were caused by the CIA. Check out the deep dive on the dollop pad podcast with dave anthony and gareth reynolds for more info seems like a common uh socialist agenda thing we always blame america if it ever fails if socialism ever fails it's definitely america's fault always never never just because socialism just leads to china nope just it's always america's fault juicy this one coming in from do appreciate it the legend rives says 
Socialism destroys savings and investments, which, which determines a good economy. The response is always more regulation and inflation, which destroys the economy. How does socialism solve this huge flaw? Yeah, uh, I'm just not clear what the questioner thinks that they're talking about. Uh, the, uh, it's, uh, it's certainly not, uh, presumably, they're not talking about any sort of attempt uh, to um, to institute economy wide, or you know, at least private sector wide, uh, you know, workers uh, workers control of uh, of production. I, I assume that they don't think that they're talking about that. Uh, I don't, you know, I, I hope that they're not talking about uh, social democracy. Those, you know, doses of socialism administered within capitalism, as opposed to socialism as a complete system after capitalism, uh, which, as we just agreed, you know, uh, are are some of the most successful. Uh, countries and you know making societies that are livable for humans that have ever existed uh so uh they must be talking about some third thing maybe they can clarify that you got it and thank you very much for your question this one coming in from pigs are intelligent as dogs says ben do you condemn mao's china ussr and venezuela yes or no clear answer please uh, well, when somebody uh, when somebody asks a complicated question, say they only want to hear uh, yes or no, uh, then I'd say that uh, intellectual honesty is not only in decline but decline. Uh, so uh, I, I think that uh, I think that certainly I, I'd condemn uh, the uh, the authoritarianism of uh, of those systems. Uh, the I think that um, you know I think that uh, that some of them at certain points. Uh, you know, did uh, did accomplish things that made you know that made people's lives better, but also there were real horrors that uh, that took place under there. But those real horrors happened because of the absence of democracy. The feature of Mao's China that allowed uh, the Great Leap Forward uh, to happen, for example. Uh, you know, which would certainly, you know, not have happened and continued uh, if if Mao and, you know, Chow and Lai and all those people had had to worry that they were going to uh, to lose re-election was the extreme absence of democracy. So uh, if, uh, if this is supposed to be an argument against socialism in the sense of extending democracy to the workplace, I don't really understand how the argument works, because in this case, we're talking about countries that not only did not have democracy in the workplace, uh, they had less democracy overall uh, than, uh, than, than you know, regular capitalist democracies. And that's precisely why these things happen. You don't get a great leap forward in, in a country where, uh, where, where the electorate has a way to take leaders out of power. You don't get the you know, Ukrainian famine uh, in, uh, in a situation like that. So yeah, I think that those are, these are cautionary tales about the absence of democracy. Uh, unlike, uh, unlike Tom, uh, apparently, I'm a big, big fan of, uh, of democracy. I'm such a big fan of it. I want to extend it to the economy. You got it, and thank you very much for your question. Made by Jim Bob says, and it's not related, but I'm so curious to get your guys' opinion on this. What do you think of the film Cuties? Have I haven't seen, seen it? it. No idea what you're talking about. Sure, Tom. Okay, next one. Brenton Langle, thanks, thanks for your question, says, T-Jump is ignoring... The entire anarchist movement, you can build socialism without centralizing power. It has happened multiple times throughout history. The anarchist movement? 
I, I don't I don't think that's a good strategy to go with, but okay. Next up, thanks very much. Made by Jim Bob strikes again saying, Tom, oh gosh, Tom, I hope this isn't. They say, Tom, is that chair the only thing you have left from your grandma? Is this, please tell me this is like a sincere, not kind of mean super chat about your late grandma. Yeah, my grandmother died and you should just send me all the money from the super chat. Like, no, it's a joke. Uh, I got this from uh, Lazy Boy, Lazy Boy store. Gotcha. Okay. I started sweating. Okay. Pigs are intelligent as dogs says if co-ops are so good, why not just walk, wait a bit. People will see co-ops are better than traditional companies and will start doing them to beat the competition. Right. Uh, Wrong. I I think that, um, you know, this is a argument that's beloved of uh of libertarians and other advocates of a pure laissez-faire system and at least they're being somewhat internally consistent when they make it uh in a way that uh, advocates of a mixed economy would not be internally consistent if they made this argument because as was mentioned earlier you could apply the exact same argument uh to uh any other reform uh that uh, that curbed capitalist power you could say oh if uh if having uh you know if a minimum wage was so great then everybody would just opt to only work uh, at businesses that offered uh, that offered a minimum wage. Uh, you could say uh, if uh, if if laws against sexual harassment, you know, are so great, uh, then everybody would just choose not to work for uh, for sexually harassing uh, bosses, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's exactly the same argument. Obviously, realistically, uh, it's not the case uh, that. Um, that most people are going to uh, to be able uh, to do that. Uh, the uh, if uh, if you have uh, if you have a system uh, in which it's an option uh, to uh, to be the the sole uh, the sole owner, uh, then even people who who do have the means, which most people most of the time do not, uh, to uh, to try to uh, to strike out on their own. Uh, are uh, most people are going to uh, to take that option, and of course there are only a certain certain number of lifeboats uh, out of the working class. Uh, it's structurally impossible for uh, for everybody to take it, but most people are uh, are going to try to do it that way. There are tons of built-in competitive, uh, you know, dis, uh, disadvantages there. Most obviously that uh, that if you uh, by definition can't reward investors with ongoing ownership shares, uh, if um, or else to the extent that you did that, you would to that extent cease to be a co-op. Uh, that makes it harder to start a co-op than a regular capitalist firm. Obviously, the fact that ordinary working class people really are a bigger risk uh, for uh, for banks giving out loans uh, than, uh, than people who have uh, who have some means, uh, that's going to be a structural uh, disadvantage uh, disadvantage uh, for uh, for co-ops, uh, and all of these things make it harder to start them. Of course, again, the statistics that exist, we can argue about whether the sample size is big enough, but the statistics that exist seem to show that once they get started, uh, they do about as well. But I would suggest that if you want to know whether most people uh, would like just like taking orders and don't want to have any autonomy, don't want to have rights at work, don't want to be, have a vote in management elections or, uh, or whether they do, probably the best way to test that is not uh, whether people, uh, you know, make the F, you know, like 
try make a desperate attempt to pool together what little money they have uh, to start a small business that will probably fail as most new businesses do, the best way to test that is to see what happens politically, to see if you can build a majority through the political process uh, to, uh, to support socialism. I know Tom thinks that that's impossible, despite, you know, there being past examples of it. But, uh, but in general, the idea that, oh, if most people wanted the economy to, to be different in some ways, it would just come about as a result of micro uh, interactions, I think is a bad argument that would be rightly rejected in uh, every other context by anybody who's not a stark raving libertarian, and it should also be rejected here. You got it. And thank you very much, Amanda, for your super chat via Venmo. Folks, we do have Venmo. Modern A Debate is our call, or you could say our handle on Venmo. Amanda says, 50K celebration. Thank you, Amanda. I am pumped for it as well. And so, as I mentioned, it is a thank you celebration for our guests like Ben and Tom, as well as for all of you for your ideas, for debate topics, things like that. We are pumped. And so thank you so much for that support. This one coming in from Farron Salas says, we have officially hit dumpster fire status in the chat. Thanks, debaters and Koonsmeister, Koonsarelli, Koonsin for a bruising, amazing, juicy debate. Couldn't agree more. It has been a juicy and fun one. Will Stewart, good to see you again. Yes, yeah, the amazing thing that Jesse Lee Peterson referenced is there's some backstory here. I don't know. That's right. We uh, we like amazing. We can't stop saying it here. And uh, we have a, a, several cliches that are... What's the purpose? Oh, when people use it ironically. So we do call people beta in the chat sometimes ironically. But next, Will Stewart says, Ben, what evidence do you have that a pure socialist nation provides more benefits than capitalist nations? Well, what I'd say is that the uh, the main reason to think that some forms of socialism uh, wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't, you know, can't, uh, have a lead to functioning and prosperous economies is the calculation problem, the issue about how to um, coordinate uh, production with consumer uh, fine-grained consumer preferences uh, in the absence of, uh, of market signals or uh, the, uh, the lack of efficiency that can enter into an economy without firm failure. Uh, but the good news is that what we do know for sure from those mixed economies uh, is that it is entirely possible to have a successful economy where some sectors are taken outside of the market. So let's say, uh, use the most pessimistic projection, like Tom, I think that, you know, in the future with the development of AI, who knows, right? You know, maybe we could have a much more radically demarketized uh, version of socialism. But in terms of what can logistically exist right now, sure, let's, let's take that, you know, worst case scenario from the calculation problem and say there's no way to do it. Uh, without having market mechanisms, without having price signals, without having firm failure, you can have all that, uh, and uh, and and still have it be the case that uh, that the market sector, those firms, are at least uh, collectively owned and democratically run uh, by the workers. And if you're going to say no, 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 that can't work, uh, that you know, unlike the uh, worker cooperative sector that exists right now, uh, this uh, this wouldn't be successful. You have to give a reason for that. It can't be the calculation problem. It certainly can't be uh, the history of countries that have completely different systems than the ones being described. Uh, so maybe there is another reason to think so. But I'd say at that point, the burden of proof is very much on the person who says that that can't be. That, the, uh, that, uh, that for some reason uh, that hasn't been specified, 
you have uh, that you know you just cannot uh, successfully uh, successfully operate a um, a market sector uh, where all of the firms are owned by workers. Maybe there's some reason why that would be the case. All I can say is I haven't heard it. You got it. And striking again, Will Stewart says this time. Ben, if I am willing to work for $5 an hour because I am not qualified to work a salary job, why should I not be allowed to? Yeah, so I, I, I like the fact that, uh, that the questioner actually uh, embraces the analogy that I keep making, uh, that they say, yeah, uh, that this, this argument uh, against, um, against uh, legally imposing uh, democracy at work, saying that you can't deny people a voice and a vote in the workplace, uh, is exactly the same as the argument that you can make against minimum wage. That in both cases, sure, if we want to pretend uh, that under you know regular capitalist conditions, uh, workers and capitalists uh, have as much bargaining power, uh, then yeah, you're you're shorting you know you're you're harming a worker by uh, by not letting them you know voluntarily agree to those arrangements. If you make the more realistic assumption that uh, that obviously it's vastly harder. Uh, for a, a worker to uh, to replace their source of income, uh, than for a capitalist to uh, to replace one worker, uh, then uh, then that argument uh, that that argument doesn't doesn't work. And I think that people have uh, are more likely to have their preferences met uh, in uh, situations where you have a legally imposed wage floor. Uh, that uh, that you know that the effect of not having one is that people are going to be forced into those arrangements by economic conditions. And similarly here, and and you know, and we can argue about what's legitimate, you know, to uh, you know to be imposed in economic structures, but you know, and what the uh, legitimate role of the state is. But one thing I'm definitely not worried about imposing on people, you know, is the ability to vote in management elections if they choose to exercise that ability. I, I think this idea that you're going to get hordes of people under those circumstances saying, no, damn it, I don't want power. I don't want to have the option of voting in a management election. I want to not be allowed to vote on that uh, strikes me as a tad unrealistic. You got it. And so thank you very much for this. Alex, appreciate your super chat just supporting the channel. And also thanks so much for your question. Will Stewart is coming at you, Ben. He is he's like a dog with a bone. He says, I believe I asked what evidence do you have, not what assertions do you think make sense, Ben? <laughs> uh yeah, so I guess I guess uh, Will Stewart thinks uh, that if a specific proposal hasn't been uh, been been implemented yet, the correct procedure is something other than looking at what the closest equivalents that have been implemented yet, looking at places where on a smaller scale or in part of the economy uh, it's been implemented, looking at whatever precedents that you can find, and then trying to to reason, you know, looking at that and then combining that with reasoning about what would make sense, uh, you know, given just the structural incentives that are built into the system. Like, are you going to get, you know, more egalitarian or less egalitarian wage scales if you let everybody vote on them? Uh, Will Stewart apparently thinks that there's there's some other uh, procedure uh, that uh, that you should use, but if if his idea for that procedure is that uh, is that if uh, if something hasn't happened yet, uh, the uh, the the default should be that if it hasn't been completely implemented yet, 
uh, that you should just assume that it would be a disaster. Uh, that's a that's an argument that could be applied at literally any point in human history to argue against literally any piece of progress that hasn't happened yet. And I hope we can all see the problem with that. You got it. And thank you very much for your question. Bubblegum Gun, more of a statement, says anarcho-capitalism is the only tenable position. Fact. I think there's more of a contradiction. I don't think you can have anarcho-capitalism because any type you have an anarchy, it's just going to lead to some people have bigger stakes than other people. And then you don't have, then they start a government. So now you no longer have an anarchy. You got it. And thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from forward tribes is Dr. Ben, can you explain Venezuela's recent history and explain Portugal's fantastic economic dynamics in the last 40 years? Okay, uh, so I'm not quite sure where he's going with the Portugal part. Uh, maybe you could uh, clarify that. But as as far as the Venezuela part goes, uh, you know, I think that I think that you can certainly look at um, success. I mean, what Venezuela is or was at its height. There's been a lot of austerity and cut since then. Uh, but what Venezuela was was social democracy. I mean, that's that's what existed in Venezuela. The vast majority of the Venezuelan economy. Uh, was always privately owned. There was never a point where that wasn't uh, that wasn't the case. Uh, and in fact, again, vastly smaller public sector uh, than several of these other uh, mixed economies uh, that we have been talking about. I think Norway is a particularly fun point of comparison because Norway and Venezuela are both places where the size of the public sector was uh, was inflated uh, by a publicly owned oil company. Uh, but uh, but yes, yeah, so uh, so given given that, I'd say that if your explanation of of what happened in in Venezuela, uh, which you know I think that part of that explanation uh, certainly has to do uh, with economic warfare uh, against it, you know most obviously uh, by uh, by the United States, uh, part of it has to do with severe missteps by. Some extent Chavez, but really Maduro, uh, in, uh, in you know, especially in terms of currency management, uh, that's that's definitely a part of the picture there. Uh, so, you know, when oil prices started to crash, uh, and you know, other oil producing economies were able to, uh, you know, suffer some temporary losses, but then get better. I think that they made some extremely short sighted uh, currency management decisions that exacerbated and led to bad cycle. But the one thing that you can't really say. If you're going to be intellectually honest, is that socialism caused this? Because if by socialism you mean a society that's not divided into a class of workers and a class of private business owners, then Venezuela is not and never has been socialist. Uh, it's uh, it's always had a predominantly capitalist economy throughout the entire time that Chavez was in power, throughout the entire time uh, that Maduro has been in power. Uh, if what you mean by socialism is social democracy, then nope, that doesn't work either, because there are other countries like Sweden and Finland and Denmark and Norway that have gone much further in a social democratic direction than uh, than Venezuela has, and the same effects haven't happened. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say that bare minimum intellectual honesty, we can rule out those two explanations. You got it, and Thank you very much for your question. You guessed it. Will Stewart, do appreciate it, buddy. And he says, let me just boomer tech over here. One second, the page is loading. Want to remind you, though, while we're waiting, our guests, Tom and Ben, are both linked in the description. Folks, if you haven't clicked their links, what are you waiting for? They're right there in the description box at the very top. 
This one from Will says, the assumption I have is, if no evidence, then we can say, let's try and find out, but not assert it will be better. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, you can, uh, if no evidence, sure. Uh, I dispute no evidence. I don't think that you need to uh, to go all the way uh, to a fully democratic socialist economy, uh, since, as we agree, right there, there, uh, there aren't any uh, any examples of those uh, that the uh, that we have uh, we have countries where you know reforms have been carried out uh, by elected socialist governments uh, that have gone a certain distance in that direction, but while still leaving most of the economy in the hands. Of, uh, of capitalists have made people's lives better, but have certainly not, you know, transcended capitalism uh, and gone to uh, socialism. Uh, that uh, that in the absence of that, there's no evidence. I think that that's that's just a, an unjustified leap. I think that there is evidence. I think that you can uh, that you know, if you want to know, uh, can you have a energy sector be successfully uh, run uh, by a democratic state? Um, then there are numerous countries that have done that. Uh, and that we do have evidence for that. If we, if you want to know, can the healthcare sector uh, be successfully run by the democratic state? Uh, then we uh, we do have evidence for that. We can look at examples of that. Uh, all of that is fully compatible with saying that uh, that yes, but you can't have a fully state-owned economy, uh, you know, with without economic dysfunction uh, because of calculation problems. Fair enough. So you know, you might still need a a market sector, but then the question is, does that have to be a market sector of conventional capitalist firms, or can it be a market sector of worker-owned firms? And I'd say, uh, see earlier in the debate, we very extensively disagreed about this and went back and forth, but I think I've laid out my reasons for thinking that the existing evidence from the existing examples as a category does give us a reason to, uh, to, think, uh, to think that that would, be, uh, that would be successful. Now, if we had uh, somehow, for some unforeseen reason, things that are very successful a la carte turn out to be disastrous for some reason, uh, when put together, uh, then, okay, uh, you know, since, uh, you know, workers can democratically vote uh, to uh, restore uh, restore power to, uh, to capitalists, uh, I'm not quite sure what anti-socialists are so afraid of. You got it. And Bubblegum Gun strikes again with a twofer, this time two statements saying, quote, democracy is cringe. Read some Aristotle fact. Next, they also say, T-Jump, you can't have mafias when Walmart sells tanks. What? They're talking about when he said he likes anarcho-capitalism, and you said that capitalism wouldn't work with anarchy because everybody who has the biggest stick would trample over the people with the smaller sticks. Nobody has a bigger stick. Well, if Walmart's selling tanks, Walmart has the biggest stick, and Walmart is going to be the government. Like if Walmart is selling the tanks and they just have a big resource of tanks, they could just use all the tanks to take all of your other stuff too. Like why, why would they sell them to you? They'll just keep the tanks and then just take all of your stuff. Juicy. And this one coming in from do appreciate it. Zirafa, good to see you, says, why has Israel been steadily turning away from socialism since the late 1970s? So, I, I mean, I think that, uh, that Israel is a... Uh, you know, I mean, I think it's a pretty funny example on, on multiple grounds as a, um, 
you know, as, as a test case uh, that, you know, that there has, uh, you know, there has always been a, uh, a large sector of the, uh, the working class there that has been uh, disempowered to a pretty farcical de degree. If, if you wanted to start talking about, uh, about socialism, uh, that the uh, minority of, uh, of Palestinians who ended up as citizens uh, of Israel uh, were completely deprived of any democratic rights for the first 19 years of, of the existence of the state. Uh, certainly, have have been systematically excluded, you know, from every every level of uh, of Israeli uh, society. Uh, but I also think that outside of the agriculture sector, you know, where you had the the kibbutzim, uh, I'm I'm not quite sure what the um, I'm, I, I guess I'm just not quite sure what the questioner. Uh, has in mind as far as what they think are are, uh, are sort of failed doses of socialism administered uh, within Israeli capitalism. I know, for example, the socialized healthcare system there, uh, I believe, uh, is uh, is very popular. Uh, but uh, but I think that uh, but I'll, I mean I'll I'll answer the more general question and and then if it's okay, I just indulge me. I, I do want to very quickly do the Aristotle thing, because uh, I was hoping to jump in on that earlier. So the very general answer to uh, to that question about why is it that you have countries that have enacted various social democratic programs, have, have implemented, um, you know, have, have implemented reforms that arise from socialist aspirations, even if they don't amount to, uh, to foreign pithy full socialism that have turned away from that. And I think that answer has been given that as long as you leave the capitalist class in power, they're always going to roll down that boulder back down the hill as soon as they feel politically able. On you Aristotle, I just say that, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised that a apologist for slavery wasn't a big fan of, uh, of democracy, but I'm a little confused about what that's supposed to show. You got it. And this one coming in from Left is Best says, T-Jump, why do capitalists ignore the effects of blockades and sanctions on socialist economies? Uh, we don't. I don't understand the question. Like, yes, those definitely have an effect, but not literally every example of socialism was stopped because of U.S. interference. That's just not a thing. So, yes, it does have an effect. Yes, we can have an effect. It doesn't mean that's literally every single case of socialism failed because of america you got it and then this last question we've got to get out of here soon but just call me toast plain toast says can t jump explain why the socialist policies of alinda alinda Yende. thank you didn't work out so well quote unquote i imagine it's the same thing it was probably from interference most likely i don't know i don't know the specific case but i'm guessing that's what they're alluding to Gotcha. Juicy. And we, Will Stewart has one last one saying, Ben, your assertion was that pure socialism was better than capitalism, not that it, quote, could be successful, unquote. Yeah. I mean, the uh, the reasons that I've given for thinking that uh, going beyond social democracy, have democracy at the workplace are, are straightforward. Uh, they've been given that quite a number of times during this debate. Uh, they're not based purely on a priori speculation. We have empirical evidence that I've mentioned, uh, which is that we can look at actually existing uh, worker, uh, you know, worker-owned, worker-managed firms uh, that have existed under capitalism, and we see that they lead to dramatically more egalitarian outcomes, uh, you know, like a fraction of the economic disparities that you get 
uh, within standard uh, standard capitalist firms, that seems like an excellent reason to think that the kind of economic inequality that's generated by capitalism wouldn't be generated even by this kind of democratic market socialism, never mind what might exist in the future, given developments in AI, et cetera, that T-Jump referred to earlier. You got it. And folks, we are going to wrap up. I want to remind you to check out the links at the very top of the description of our guests, as we really do appreciate them. And I'm going to be back here in just a moment with a post credit scene, letting you know about juicy upcoming stuff at this channel, including some votes that I think you're going to dig. So stick around for that. But before we go, I want to say thanks so much, Ben. And thank you so much, Tom. It's been a true pleasure to have you on. Thanks, James. Thanks. My pleasure. So I'll be right back in just a moment, folks. Stick around for that post credit scene coming up. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.